thanks so much to everyone who blessed us tonight. Scripture readers, the men who read scripture and prayed, uh, the young kids, and of course Susan and Cindy and Annette and whoever else worked with the kids the last few weeks to be ready to sing tonight. And um, Paige and Kaylin, thank you so much for blessing us with your gifts. That was such, and Kim, sorry, Kim too. Thank you so much. That was such a gift. And of course, Jenny and Olivia, Alyssa, and Luke, who led us in worship. What a gift. What a gift. Well, Merry Christmas. And Christmas is a time in the Bible, a time of Christ's coming and birth of unadulterated joy, of serious joy. No moderation when it comes to joy. We see that in the stories, uh, speaking of the birth of Christ, and we, the men read the scriptures out of Luke chapter 2, and we saw the shepherds out in the field, and a, an angel appears to them and tells them of the birth of this Messiah. And the angel says, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Great joy. Not a little bit of joy, not... I think I have joy, but great joy. The Greek word for great is megas. You know what word comes from that, right? Mega. Good news of mega joy. When the wise men, after Jesus had been born and perhaps he was one or one and a half years old and a little toddler walking around maybe or, you know, or laying around or whatever, they come and when, when the star stops over the place where Jesus was, it says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The message is unmistakable. These pagans from the east were led to the Messiah and when they came to the place where he was, they were, they were filled with great joy. Except it's more than great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is a time of joy. For many, of course, it's not. I hope that it will be tonight for you. I hope it already has been. And hope that the message I have just in the next couple of hours, I'm joking, (laughs) next 20 minutes or so, will fill you with great joy at the coming of Christ. I want to look at one passage that I think gets to the center and meaning of Christmas, but it's perhaps one that you don't think of when you think of Christmas. And this passage tells us three things. One, why Jesus came. Number two, our life purpose. You and I, as Christians, if you believe in Jesus, and if you don't, I hope you will by the time you leave, our life purpose And then third, it tells us God's ultimate aim in all things. So why Jesus came, the life purpose for Christians, and God's ultimate aim in all things. Let me read the passage for you. It's just three verses out of 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 to 17 says this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am foremost. This is Paul speaking. But I received mercy that for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of ages, eternal, invisible, the only God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Why Jesus came, our life purpose, God's ultimate aim in all things. It's right here. Why Jesus came. Look at verse 15. Don't look at it. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can look at it. I'll read it for you again. Why Jesus came. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Stop right there. Paul wants to get our attention with what he's about to say, right? You know how in the, in the Gospels, sometimes Jesus says, he prefaces what he's about to say with truly, truly, or truly I say to you. This is Paul's way of doing the same sort of thing. He's, he's saying what I'm about to say is of utmost importance. Kids, you know what this is like when your parents have something important to say to you. You might even know this is what mom and dad say. This is what they do. When they want to tell me something important, something exciting, something serious, or maybe when I do something naughty, some kind of word of discipline, they say, son, daughter, whatever, listen up. Here's what I do in my home, okay? I say, look me in the eye. Put down your gadget. Put down your book. Put down your pencil. Look me in the eye. I got something important to say. This is what Paul's doing here. He's saying the saying is trustworthy. It's deserving of full acceptance. It's trustworthy. It's true. And it's worthy of your full acceptance. Not passive acceptance. Not, yeah, yeah, I think I understand that. I think I got that. Your full and complete acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world. That's incarnation speech. That's God became a man and came into the world to do what? To save. To save. Jesus came to save. He came to save sinners. He came to save sinful people. Jesus came to save. He didn't come mainly just to be a good teacher. He did come to teach, of course. He didn't come to just do a few miracles for three years and then whew, go away. He didn't come primarily to be our good example. All of those things he did come to do, but not mainly those things. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save sinners. This is what the angel told uh, Joseph when he, when, he, when he came to Joseph. Joseph had found out Mary was pregnant. It's like, well, she's not pregnant by me. And he's going to put her away. He's going to divorce her. And an angel came and said, do not divorce Mary, for this is from the Lord. He says, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus. And you know what it says after that? For he will save his people from their sins. I love this, the strong language here. Both here in 1 Timothy 1 as well as in Matthew chapter 1. He will save his people from their sins. He came to save sinners. Jesus didn't come to attempt to save. He didn't come to make salvation possible. He didn't come to make people savable. He came to save. Here's what's so wonderful about that. If you trust in Jesus, you will find him to be a perfect 
and sufficient Savior. We've been going through the book of Hebrews here on Sunday mornings. Hebrews chapter 7, whoever draws near to God through Jesus will find Jesus to be a one who saves to the uttermost, who saves completely and forever. And he does not lose those that he came and those that he saves. Now, how does Jesus save sinners? So I think it's helpful to think of it this way. There's, I think of it with three Ps. Jesus came to save us from the penalty of sin. First P. Second, Jesus came to save us from the power of sin. Third, Jesus came to save us from the presence of sin. First, Jesus came to save us from the penalty of sin. We have all sinned. And we are under a penalty of judgment because of our sin. And Jesus came to save us from that. Romans chapter three says the wages of sin is death. And if we got what we deserve from God, we would all die. And we wouldn't just die physically, but we would die eternally and spiritually. And Jesus came to save us from the penalty of sin. Praise his name. If he had not come to save us from the penalty of sin, no matter what other blessings God would give us, he wouldn't give us what we need most. For our biggest problem is sin. Now when Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin, this happens once. You believe in Jesus, you are saved now and forever from the penalty of sin. You don't need to be re-saved later from the penalty of sin. For it's once for all. Jesus dies for all of our sins, past, present, and future, and from the guilt of our sin, the penalty of our sin. But Jesus also saves us from the power of sin. I don't know about you, but my ongoing misery at times is usually related to my sin. Do I have anyone else that agrees with that? And praise his name. Jesus came to save us, not just from the penalties we can go to heaven someday, but from the power of sin so that we can stop sinning. So that we can, okay, so we may not ever be sinless in this life, sinless, without sin, without ever sinning, but we certainly can and we must, with the presence and power of his spirit, we must sin less. He came to save us from the power of sin, He came to save us from sinning. And so this is good news for us. This is wonderful, happy, joyful news. But Jesus also came to save us one day in the future from the very presence of sin. And we just don't even understand what what will that be. I mean, we understand because the Bible tells us, but experientially, we don't know what that's like. The whole world is run through with brokenness and with the effects of sin. And when Jesus comes again, he will save us perfectly, even from the very presence of sin itself and all of the effects of sin. Now, Paul says something really interesting and somewhat um, controversial in this passage. It's not controversial to Paul, but it is to all those who came after Paul. Because Paul says, Jesus came to save sinners, and then he said this, of whom I am foremost. Paul, the foremost, he's the worst sinner. And so some, some would say, and I, I would probably agree with them, I don't think Paul is really saying that of all the people on planet Earth, he was actively sinning worse than any of them at that moment. I don't think that's what he's saying. 
but I certainly think he is saying this. Paul never got over the saving, gracious work of Jesus for him. Ever. He remembered it to the very end of his life. In fact, 1 Timothy is one of his last books that he wrote. Paul was so aware of where he fell short and of the grace of God in Christ to save him. And you and I should be too. That's why Jesus came, to save sinners. What is our life purpose? This passage tells us the life purpose of Christians now, since Jesus has come, is to display the grace of Jesus. Verse 16, Paul says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul says, he, he saved me, he gave me mercy so that he might display his patience, his grace in me to those who would believe in him. You and I are to display the grace of Jesus because we've received, we've received such rich grace. When I was growing up, I had a friend whose brother was a fantastic athlete. I mean, he's, a, he's a phenomenal athlete, football player especially. And if you went into their house, he was much older than us. I think he was maybe a senior when we were in seventh, sixth or seventh grade, sixth grade probably. If you went into their house, there was a room, it was his bedroom that was like a shrine to this older brother. Pictures, trophies, of all of his accolades put on display to magnify how great he was. Jesus does not want to magnify how great you are. No offense, okay? Or me, because we're not that great. We're not. But he does want to highlight and magnify the greatness of of his grace in your life and through you. In you and through you, he wants to magnify how great his grace is. And that's a constant battle, isn't it? Because we often think, well, if God loves me and if he, if he blesses me, it will magnify me. It will make me feel good about myself. That's not the way that it works. To magnify the greatness and glory of his grace. A guy named Robert Murray McShane a long time ago said, a Christian is someone who makes it easy for others to believe in God. A Christian is someone who makes it easy, maybe he said easier, I don't know. I think he said easy to believe in God. A Christian makes it easy for those around him to believe in God. And so when the grace of God comes to us and he saves us, us, sinful people like us, when he puts his grace on display in us, it will make it easier for those around us to believe in the God we say we love. I think two marks of of someone who has received God's grace powerfully, two marks are joy, we talked about that, and humility. 
and we will display, we will show forth the grace of Jesus with our lips and with our lives. We will be like King David in Psalm 67. I love this where he says, come and hear all you who fear God and let me tell you what he has done for my soul. Isn't that amazing? Come and hear, come and listen. Let me tell you what God has done for my soul. Are you just bursting with God's grace that you wanna tell someone what he's done for you? He wants to do that in you tonight. He does. He wants to do that in you. So with our lips and also with our life. You know, when, when God touches us with his grace, it does not make us haughty, it makes us humble. Grace not only heals us, but in, in one sense it wounds us because it brings us low. I was reminded of the story of Jacob. Jacob was a rascal. I mean, he was, he was a bad dude. In the Bible, Jacob. My brother Jacob too, I'm joking, okay. Um, but he was a bad guy. He was a manipulator. Remember how he came out of the womb? He was, he was a twin. He came out of the womb holding onto his brother's heel. He was a bad guy, but he had two encounters with God that changed him. One was in Genesis 28, we're not gonna get into that. The other's in Genesis 32, and it's this. Remember, it's that time where Jacob is wrestling with God. A man wrestling with God. And it says that Jacob won. How many know the only way you can beat God in a wrestling match is if he lets you? (laughs) Otherwise, you lose every time, and it's really bad for us. But he wrestled with God, and he won. But as the sun was coming up, and it says God realized the sun was coming up, and Jacob said, bless me. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And God blessed him. He did. He blessed him. But he also touched his hip socket and his hip joint was put out. Jacob was touched by grace and he walked with a limp the rest of his life. He was humbled. He was a changed man. Jesus wants to put his grace on display in your life for others to see. Make it easier for others to believe in God. If that, I want to know the God they say they worship. Look at that joy. And look at that genuine, true humility. I mean, in a world with so much anger and bitterness and unhappiness and darkness and so much arrogance and pride, how different would we look? The grace of God touched us in that way. Saved sinners. So that's our life purpose is to display the grace of God, the grace of Jesus. Finally, God's ultimate aim in all things. This passage tells us, it's verse 17, to the king of ages, eternal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. You see what Paul is doing here? Verse 15 and 16, he talks about Christ came to save sinners. I'm the foremost. He saved us to display Christ's grace. And then just Paul just goes into worship. That's what he's doing here. This is doxology. This is glory to God. This is praise to God, to the king of ages. Invisible, eternal, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever, amen. Paul gets caught up in worship. 
And this is what it all leads to. In God's mind, this is his aim in all things, the praise and worship of him. The praise and worship of God. God sending Christ into the world to save sinners is to the praise of his name. God displaying the grace of Christ in us and through us so that others may see and believe in Christ. This is for the praise and glory of God. You see, if Christmas ends on us, right? What, it, hey, it's good news for me. I'm happy now. It's, it's come up short. And if it, if it ends on us and other people horizontally, it comes up short. It's to come to us and go through us and affect others and then rebound to God's praise. That's what it's all about. Ephesians 1, three times. Ephesians 1, verses, I think it's 3 to 14, I believe. It's the longest sentence in the Bible. You should read it tonight. It starts off with, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And then it just goes and unpacks them for like 10 verses. And three times in those verses, Paul breaks out in praise. And he says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. To the praise of the glory of God's grace. God is seeking his own praise and glory. Now, if you and I did that, we would be narcissists, and when we do that, we are. But not God. Not God. For two reasons, at least. I mean, first, he's God, right? He's glorious. He's worthy of praise. You and I are not. But secondly, when God seeks his own glory in and through us, He's actually seeking our greatest good too. Amen. You see, you and I both praise whatever we truly prize. We praise what we prize. I mean, in good ways and bad ways. If I prize my wife, I will praise her. In, in a human way, right? Not praising her like God. And when we prize God, we will praise him. And when there's joy in our heart, we will prize God as we ought to and it will go forth in praise to him. C.S. Lewis once said something, something like, um, praising doesn't merely flow from joy, but it is the completion of joy. Think of it like this. This is not the example he gave, but this is what I think of. You ever been driving in the car here in, a, here in Des Moines, or Iowa going west in the evening and the sun is setting and you just see dazzling colors in the sky? <laughs> and something in your heart leaps like, whoa, this is amazing. What do you do? If, if I'm in the car by myself, if I'm with my kids or my wife, invariably, I might be with no one else, like I said, by myself. I might say, that's amazing. What colors, what a sunset. There's something in us that wants to praise glory and beauty and what we prize. 
my favorite Christmas song, I'm almost done, is O Holy Night. First verse says, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Pining means to be descending. Like bad, going downhill. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth, felt the worth of his appearing. Jesus appeared for the first time 2,000 years ago, roughly. But Jesus appears here tonight by his spirit and his word. And I just want to know, do you, do you, do you feel its worth? Do you feel his worth? The worth of our king, the worth of Christ. Then rejoice that Christ has come to save sinners, to save the worst of them. If there's not one person here or one person in the entire world that could say, I'm too bad for Jesus. I'm too bad. I hope I can get better so that maybe he can save me. No! He came to save people just like you and me. So rejoice and be a display for Christ of his grace. And start tonight when you gather with family, whether it's just, whether it's just your children or a larger gathering. Start tonight. Start tonight as we dismiss here and we're mingling. Be a display of his grace. And give high and glorious praise to the Lord of grace. Give him praise. Let your joy find its appointed completion in praise to God. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you...